Get your films on with the blurs. Once an idea has taken hold of the brain, it's almost impossible to eradicate. Unpacking movies has never been more spot on, woke, fire, and just plain lit. They are lit all the time. So if you're unsure whether or not to plop down some cash for a film, check out the blurs. When a man with a 45 meets a man with a rifle, the man with a pistol is a dead man. Rondo's got what plants crazy. It's got electrolyte. You really only need to hang mean bastards. But mean bastards, you need to hang. Don't say you weren't warned. Ridiculous. Here's Brandon and Jeff. Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of the Film Blurds. I'm here with my co-host and friend, Brandon Norwood. Hello, Hello everybody. And uh, today's special guest, we're joined with uh, a very good friend of mine. Uh, uh, I guess we can put like all his names up there. He's an actor, writer, producer, director. Kevin Interdonato, and it has taken me all of 15 years to be able to say his name without fucking it up. <laughs> you do it wonderfully, Jeff. Well, Hi, everybody. How's it going? All right. Welcome. Welcome, man. Um, so I've, I've known Kevin for, like I said, about 15 years, something like that. Yeah. 2000. When we do that short, man, 2007, I, 2008. Something, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So I... Uh, did a short film that was never released, never finished. Uh, with with Kevin, I I think it was a Craigslist yeah. posting. Yeah, yeah. Is it? I was looking for an actor. I went on Craigslist. The, you know, this dude showed up, and I was still young. I was still young in the game, right? And the intensity that Kevin brought to it was was in insane. Because before that, I was just like. I'd get some actors together and they would just, I would say, all right, act. <laughs> and whatever I got, I got. But with Kevin, you know, he really got into the role. He really, uh, you know, questions, motivations and stuff like that. Um, and it was like, that was a real, you know, kind of eye-opening experience on what it's like to work with actual actors. Hmm. Uh moving forward like you know he goes off to california xyz uh but we kept in touch over the years and and this is where we are today so kev give us a give us some stories man tell us what's going on tell us about the the your career trajectory oh boy where to begin well thank you for that introduction jeff um happy to be on the film blurreds podcast and um yeah man we we i was acting in jersey for a minute um and then at the time i decided to move to la there's just i there's just no work here at all i think the tax credit left new york things just dried up in in jersey and uh i said i got to make i got to make a go out of this so i moved to la and I think after I moved to LA, the tax credits came back to New York like three, three or four months later. And I was like, oh shit, I could have just moved two hours north, not, you know, not across the country. But um, things went okay. And I decided to learn the other side of the business while I was out there, soup to nuts. Uh, I didn't like not knowing things. I didn't like, I started at that point getting tired of being in movies that were not good. You know, and um, 
not being satisfied on my end creatively. So I learned how to produce the right way. I learned the distribution aspect. I teamed up. Well, I worked for a couple um, distributors and sales reps in that respect, uh, not as an employee, but like helping the company. So I could just kind of like get information from them. And and I started, uh, I continued to work as an actor and started befriending more distributors, gotten more involved in knowing how to get my movies out there. And then um, met my lovely wife, who's also an amazing actress, Amanda Clayton. And we wanted to have a kid. And I was like, no way we're raising a kid out here. So we're going back to Jersey. She hit. She got on that show, um, City on a Hill, for a couple seasons. I jumped in a little bit, too. And uh, then we just started, I just started saying, okay, we're going to put my foot down. I'm going to make some film. So at one point when I came back, uh, it was about a year before the Bastard Sons, Jeff. So maybe twenty. Was it over COVID? Yeah, I mean, Bastard Sons was over COVID. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, no. Yeah. When, when I when I reached out to you and 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 we got up, we got uh, up and the, the yeah, it was, were, it was yeah, it was COVID. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Jeff and I go way back. Always stayed in touch of the years, you know. And he's such a talented freaking guy. And, and I was like, man, if I come back here, I gotta I gotta figure something out and get myself with with the cream of the crop. You know what I mean? Essentially that was where my head was at. Like I got to get with the cream of the crop in Jersey because it's a dime a dozen out in LA, dime a dozen in New York, but Jersey's just like, so there's no hub, you know, like it used to be like Red Bank a little bit years ago, but I don't know. It's just, it just, I couldn't, I couldn't go to a certain town and feel it like you could feel in LA or feel it in New York. So the first person I called was Jeffrey Stewart and we hooked up talk shop. Um, I was pretty <laughs> was I pretty aggressive at that point. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, you're always fucking aggressive, man. That's how. Yeah, that's, know, that's, that's, that's your that's your mode. That's my thing. Yeah, but um, I was like Jeff, like, come on, man. You know what I mean? Like, we could do this. You got to do this. What are you doing? This is what I'm trying to get going. Teamed up. Jeff threw a couple people my way, like Compatelli and Ray Llewellyn, and uh, I knew some other people from the way. Got the crew together. Had the script had the facilities, um, got some other producers involved, and then boom, we just started rocking and rolling. So we did Bastard Sons in uh, December of 2021, January 2022. Then I did another film called Malicious in April 2022. And then Jeff directed St. Michael of the City, I believe that was in May. Yeah, that right. sounds, sounds about yeah, right. Yeah, did three features in six months. Jeff was in, involved in two of them. And um, yeah, we're at the tail end now. Malicious is out. Sons is out as of three days ago. And uh, St. Michael is going to be the first week of April. Right. And that's that. All right, there, there, there we go. So here's my question for you. Okay. Uh, on, the, on the podcast, Brendan and I talk a lot about the business aspect. Yeah of what it takes to like, you know, get a movie out there, make a movie and things like that. Um, and it seems like most actors, right. Aren't really concerned about that. Um, why, why do you think that is? And why did you decide like you want to pivot to, like the behind the scenes, like making the thing. I I'll I'll do you one further, man. Not only are not most actors not 
not savvy, nor do they want to learn it. I think a lot of filmmakers don't want to either. You know, I noticed, um, I can only speak from my experience, which is fairly extensive doing independent film, that it truly is a business of dreamers. Like dreamers. And I dream just like the next person. I mean, more, you know, aggressive or, or not, you know, I don't walk around wearing, a, you know, looking or feeling or looking like an artist, you know what I mean? But I'm creatively motivated. But I don't let that, um, I don't let that take uh, precedence over the reality of the business that I, I learned pretty early on. I think actors are still hung up on a dream. Uh, it's almost like why people still buy lottery tickets because you hear that people won. It's like, oh, they won, I'll win. If I just keep going at it, it's like, yeah, man, it's like a million people. You know what I mean? Right. And with actors, it's, it's kind of similar. Like you can only do so much. You can only do so much. And then the rest is up to people. That's the thing. Your career is literally up to people that you'll never know. You'll never meet. You'll never, you'll never know who's looking at you, who's making decisions. You're just, you're so far down the totem pole at the audition level and the people it has to go through to get a decision made about you, whether you get a part or not. Um, and, and it bothered me to the point where I'm like, I, I can't stand not having, not having a say in my life, let alone my career. Because your career dictates your life because the actor's lifestyle is like this. You're literally like all over the place, man. So I think that people hang on, actors hang on to a dream a lot and they just kind of keep focusing on that and don't realize, like I didn't realize for a while, you put a mental block on yourself that you are capable of more. And, um, and that goes for filmmakers too. Filmmakers have this thing in their head. They are dreamers too. Oh, sorry guys. They're dreamers too. And they will do anything to get money for their movie and um, not care, literally not care about the result. Since so many assholes take money from people and they're like, well, they know it's an investment. I'm like, wow, dude, I would love to knock you out. And, and, I, and I didn't even give you money. You know, it's, it's a shame because if someone's going to go start a pizza place, <clears throat> And, and take money from someone, you know, the, the whole idea is to pay that person back, like the investor, like that's, they're part of the business. You make money, you go. You got to make money. So for movies, it's like talking about money is like taboo if you're an artist, which is such a facade anyway, this whole artist thing. It's not. You can be creative and an artistic person and not, not like put this facade on that you're an artist, you know. Uh, it's important. So for filmmakers, to them, it's the dream, too. It's to do whatever they got to do to get financed by hook or by crook and not give two shits about how it actually makes money, how it really goes down or have a business plan of how they could pay that person back. I owe somebody five bucks. It bothers me like hell until I see them so I can give them that five dollars back. Right. You know, thank God for Venmo. I'm like, like immediately, you know. Filmmakers don't do that. Actors aren't into it either. Actors avoid the reality of things. So for me, I, I knew that I was capable of making a project, which proves to be on a work scale. Wow. It's like 20 to one, man, compared to the work of just being an actor and just being an actor. 
It is nonstop 24-7, especially if you're heading, you know, producing a project the right way. I've seen people produce projects like the Dreamer producers too. They exist and the Dreamer directors and they just do what they got to do to get it made and fling it to a distributor and see what happens and chalk it up because they got money on the front end. So what do they care about? They got paid. When someone else is like, I just gave you money, dude. Like, you know, so I know it's long winded, but uh, to sum it up, I think that um, I think people are very disillusioned with this industry. In more recent years, I think it's becoming a little bit more business prominent and actors are waking up a little bit more and other people are waking up a little bit more, which is kind of cool to see. Um, but that's, that's my thoughts. All right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Brandon and I were literally just talking about this before we, we hopped on. Uh, and he was telling me that, uh, what, what was, what was Nolan's deal on, uh, on Oppenheimer? Mm. What do you mean? Uh, like what, what was his upfront money and all that good stuff? Oh, so, uh, the stipulations for Oppenheimer when he was going around shopping the movie is it had to have a hundred million dollars for the budget, a hundred million dollars for marketing, uh, had to have a three week run, uh, in IMAX and theaters had to have film prints in IMAX and regular film prints. And, uh, he wanted 20% upfront of the box office receipts, which for Oppenheimer, that's risky because we, even I, going into it and knowing what it was, I was just like, I don't know if this will make money. And lo and behold, the thing is close to a billion dollars. So betting on yourself sometimes does pay off because homies now like, you know, 20% of $954 million is a lot. Yeah. And like, you know, the same thing with Margot Robbie, like she could have just been Barbie, right? But she like produced the thing. Yeah, she approached right? Greta. She wanted Greta to write the movie. She's like, I'm a producer. I'm going to star in this. I want you to write and direct it. Greta was like, cool. Right. Uh, she got that's the not new. She wanted. That's great. And, that, and that's not new. <clears throat> you know, people look at uh, De Niro. De Niro, like he's like this, this you know, recent years, whatever. But I mean, you know, an actor is actor. And he is. Of course he is. But there's so much more that comes to the table that he never was was public about. De Niro's the one that got Raging Bull made. Yeah. De Niro's the one that brought that brought that to Scorsese, pushed on it. De Niro's the one that used to run around with his headshot in a backpack all the time. Like I remember Pacino telling a story about him years ago, and he was like, that guy was like always talking business, always hustling, always trying to find angles. When I lived in LA, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> There was this dude that lived across from me in this piece of shit apartment complex, this older guy. He used to sell cars on Hollywood Boulevard at Hollywood Toyota, the famous car shop, right? Sold to stars. So his repeat client annually was Al Pacino. So Al would call him up, call up the uh, the car place and say, Re- request Bill. And Bill, every year, would get in a car and drive it to Al's estate in Malibu. They beep him in the doors. The gates would open. He'd drive in. He'd beep him in, and he'd go in, and they'd hang out for a couple hours. That was like an annual thing for years. And he told me, and the guy's been around. He saw a lot, and he said, Al Pacino, the actor's actor, was like, talk about a hustler, man. 
like business, 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 money, money. And he said the last time he went to the house, he walked in and all he heard was Al Pacino screaming upstairs on the phone at someone for like 20 minutes. He's like, where's my fucking money? You owe me my fucking money. You didn't pay me this and that, blah, blah, blah. All this stuff on and on and on. And he said, that's how he was. But once the interviews come on, once the cameras turn on, it's artist. Right. You know what I mean? I don't know many artists that are hidden. Um, You you talking about how you want to link up with Jeff and stay in touch and stay linked up with Jeff, right? That reminds me, because you just mentioned De Niro. That reminds me, and I don't know if you knew this. I'm going to tell a little antidote. Uh, Good. So after The Godfather was a hit and won like all those bajillion Oscars and they approached Francis like, hey, we want part two. He was just like, I'll produce it, but I want my friend Martin Scorsese to direct it. And he pushed for Scorsese to direct it for four months and Paramount just said no. Hmm. And lo and behold, three uh, right after uh, Godfather 2, like little before Godfather 2, uh, Taxi Driver drops and then a little after Godfather 2, Raging Bull drops. And everybody's like, well, maybe we should have listened to Francis. And it's like, well, <laughs> the dude who made you the movie the first time around is pushing this guy for a reason. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, so the fact that that that's what when you were telling your story, that's what that reminded me of, of like, hey, I want to put keep my friends close, my filmmakers friends close. And when it comes time, push them further along if I can yeah but i like jeff you know we get on we get along good you know right, right. Uh, my circle's really tight like really tight right I, like and that that's actually a question i wanted to ask because like you came back to jersey right yeah and so you know you had to assemble this team and you've been working with them over like for like the last couple of like you know two or three movies is that rare to like find people that you trust in this industry? God, yeah, man. It's scary, you know? It's, um, first of all, everyone's an actor. You know, everybody, everybody's in the industry. Let me rephrase that. When I was in LA, I got, I caught it. I felt it a lot harder than Jersey. Because in Jersey's, Jersey's a state, there's no hub. In LA, when I got there, I realized that my personal life was my business life and vice versa. I couldn't get away from it. Anyone I ever interacted with was in the industry. Other, even, even I was in a paint crew. I was painting houses, you know, for a couple of years in apartment complexes. There's a crew of five dudes. Everyone was actors or filmmakers. Like you couldn't, I couldn't get away from it. And every single person in that damn city, unless they were born there and just still live there for whatever reason, left their everything, their homes, their friends, their family, just like I did to, to make it. And then you see people's true values, man. They're true, like their, you know, their moral compass of what they'll do to do to to get there to make it. And um, you know, true colors come out. Um, yeah, everybody wants something out there in this biz in this in this business, but especially out there, it was just like condensed. You know what I mean? It was a concentrated dose of it. Out here, it's not so much. Out here, I felt like it's more about the work. It's more about the art. Um, rather than like making it, so to speak, people are cool dabbling in it here, which is fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that at all. I mean, 
I actually think I actually think personally the best actors. I'm not talking about talent wise, but the best purest form of as an of an actor is an actor that does community theater. To me, that's the purest form of an actor. It has nothing to do with money. Has nothing to do with making. It has nothing to do with success. They actually just love what they do. I'm like, man, I I, I love that. I wish I had that, but I I chose to make a living out of this, and my back's against a wall with it. So yeah, it, it's kind of it's kind of weird. So my circle is really small because I don't want people around me that by hook or by crook, at any means necessary, will do whatever they have to do to make it. Those people are weird. There's a there's an odd desperation to it, and I don't like being surrounded with that. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Does that Fair make enough. sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. One hundred percent. So let's talk about um, making it right. Oh yeah. What what does that what does that look like? Like for I mean it look I mean no it looks like a different thing for different people. But yeah. like when do you think you've made it? It's that's a great question, dude. I think and you nailed something there. Like what does it look like and what is it? I think that's two different things. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Um <clears throat> to me what does making it mean? I'll never admit, even if I, on the outside looking in, if someone said Kev made it, I'll never say I made it because that kind of peaks me and plateaus me. Um, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's a peak or a plateau to this. I think you're constantly growing as an artist, constantly. I can feel it in myself through the, through my work and everything. So as an artist, is there such thing as making it? Uh, on the business end of things, I don't know. I think I think when you reach a place in your life that you're receiving income from this industry, that that helps and contributes greatly to your lifestyle. I think that's a that's a difficult and wonderful place to be. Doing it full time, I mean, that's just you know. It's rare. It's rare to be able to sustain like that, you know? And Amanda and I, my wife and I are both both in it. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what the public would would think of me in that light. I, I, I you know, all I know is the public or what I would think of other people. But th- it's a business of facades. So, you know, I know people that other people think that maybe they made it. And then behind the scenes, they're they're hurting like a motherfucker. You know what I mean? Um, but if you could find a balance in life and even knock on wood are able to raise a family and receive income from this business, it doesn't drive you crazy. You don't want to quit. There's a lot of variables, man. So I don't know. I guess it depends on what someone's opinion of success in the film industry is. All right. Fair, fair enough. Fair what enough. do you think? I mean, I don't like I don't know. Like we talk about this all the like uh I guess making it is just having enough money just to to live, enjoy your life and just to do the thing that you want to do. Right. Right? Like uh I don't know, I can't speak for Brandon, but for me, if if I could make $250,000 a year doing this podcast, you know, that's what I uh that's what I would do. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that would be making it for me. Personally, yeah, I achieved a goal recently through this podcast. So if I could start doing more Q&As with people I actually admire and look up to and who are my heroes, and they look at me with respect when we meet, like, oh, yeah, like, you, you know what you're talking about. I like you. You're knowledgeable. You know, uh, that's what's important to me. You know what I mean? Like one of my one of my favorite filmmakers knows who I am. You know what I mean? And I got to do a Q&A with this guy in one of the yeah. biggest screens on Earth, you know, in front of 300 people. That That's crazy to me. It's still surreal. Yeah, that's cool, man. Yeah, that's so like cool. st- stuff like that. Like the, I, I, I guess making it looks like the people that you respect respecting you. Mm. You know, but also uh, money helps. Yeah, right? It's funny how money comes into it too, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. um, <clears throat> I uh, I don't know. I don't know what the definition of it is because it's not like wherever I am in in the industry right now, or in in people's uh, uh, people's opinions of me. I just feel like it's still a lot of work, man. Like the work doesn't didn't lighten up, right? Um, you know, it's still still going. I'm glad I could produce art. I'm glad there's income involved. So I don't know. So, I never really thought about making it, man. I never really thought about like making it. And that's that, that's fine and that's fair. I mean, you like but you you open it up by, you know, talking about actors who are like, you know, who are trying to make it. It's like, what does that what does that look like? Yeah. Yeah, you know, like will you is it's well, it, a, it, a pain it, factor, bro. Like, you know, is, is anyone ever satisfied, you know? Like and if you ever get satisfied, then what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. What's the point? Right. You know, I, I talked to a man about that. For me, I, I'm I'm on a. Uh, I, I've never not had a drive. A burning desire. For fulfillment, creative fulfillment, it's it's constant. I can't I can't quench it. I can quench it. Periodically. Um, but living the life of an actor and doing nothing else creatively. And I consider creating films, a creative endeavor, regardless of how much of that is, is a a, a business endeavor as well. But I was really, really uh, blown away by, you know, I've written before. I love writing, but um, the post-production process, man, I mean, that was fun. Um, I really enjoyed that. I got to say, sit in that room, watching Nick, the editor, do his thing, watching Compatelli do his thing. That was, that was, that satisfied me. And I was like, man, I'll take, I'll take the weight of doing films. I'll continue to do that as well as, you know, obviously my number one passion is being an actor, but I, I enjoy this. I'm getting fulfillment from this. It was, it was really interesting. interesting. Whenever I teach a class, um, and someone asks, you know, what's the, uh, what's the, the worst and best part of filmmaking? And I tell them when you're in the thing, when you're in whatever phase, that is the worst part of filmmaking. <laughs> and then as soon as you move out of that, that becomes the best part of filmmaking, <laughs> right? The writing is always the worst part until you get to, you know, production is like oh man remember when i could just sit down at the computer and that's all i had to do was right and then you're out of production you're 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 
you're in the post. I was like, yeah, I can't believe I, I complain about all those long days. I was hanging out with friends, making jokes, stuff like that. And you move in the you move in the post. Uh, you move it like you're out of post into you know sales. You know, like what do you do with this film? And you go like, oh man, remember when uh Kev and uh and and Mike and me, we we had to take a break. Uh, and we just went out and got fucking cookies, you know, and left the <laughs> left the edit studio, you know. So, uh, I I get that. Um, it's 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 fluid. Well, for me, um, the, the, the that creative process. Now, tell us about the Bastard Sons, man. Like, where did that come from? And was this a purely creative decision to make this thing, or was this a business move? Was this a okay? Yeah, tell tell us, tell us about the movie, and like, tell us where it came from, and and all that. I don't want to bore your audience, guys. Just I, tell me when to stop talking. When I'm we'll, we'll put we'll put fart noises in. It'll be fine. <laughs> like we'll we'll keep them laughing. Perfect. Uh, in a nutshell, um, that was derived from a script called The Nowhere Guys. I auditioned for that. I think around the same time I met you in New Jersey years ago, off an ad on Craigslist. So I drove down towards the Atlantic City or Cape May area at some place called the Film Cafe. And there was Glenn Rodriguez, young 18-year-old kid behind a camera. Some girl was there with him. Uh, they moved all the chairs out of the way. It was like off hours, and I did the scene. Um, yeah, it was a pretty heightened scene. I, I'm pretty sure I threw a chair across the room when it happened, and the owner came out. And I was like, oh, shit, there goes that role. But Glenn wanted me to do it. So I got cast. It was a cool concept. I was younger, too. I never got a chance to read the screenplay. It was just the scene, you know. Then Glenn sent me the script. I'm like, oh, it's cool. You know, he's a young kid that wrote it. needs a little help. But it was, it was cool. And um, there was no money. So we shot a trailer, played around, and went around and spent time with Glenn. He was a talented kid. And then that was that. We just kept in touch with the years. I ended up moving to L.A. a couple years later. Then he moved to L.A., I think, a year after that. Ended up crashing with me at my place. We did some uh, work together. Did a short film with Amanda. I met Amanda. Then I moved in with Amanda. Glenn stayed in my apartment. <clears throat> and we were just doing odds and ends throughout the years together. Had fun. And I moved out of L.A. and so did he. So when COVID hit, I wanted to start writing. I made up my mind. I was like, I'm going to make something. I know I am. I had a couple scripts already written. And I ended up banging out three screenplays, I think, in like, I don't know, maybe like literally four months or something like that. I was just grinding my head down and did it. And Sons was the first one. But I reached out to Glenn to see if he'd be cool revamping that script. So it was a page one rewrite. Uh, we took the concept. It was like five guys, grew up as brothers, buddies. You know, they were criminals. There was a girl involved. To be honest with you, that's all I really remember from it. it I just kind of took that concept and I just started writing. Thought about my locations that I had access to. And I stayed in touch with Glenn throughout the process and ran everything by him. He'd throw his two cents in, make a little change here and there. But I, I I wrote the script based on his story. But creatively, he was involved throughout, even picking wardrobes for the characters, what they would look like, things like that, you know? Um, hit you up, Jeff. I believe I hit you up after the script was written. I was like, I'm going to do this. By hook or by crook, I'm going to do it. And we figured it out. 
got the crew together, got the locations together. And I knew that if I was going to make a film as a director, I never directed before. Um, I wasn't doing it for like, let's see how this goes. That this absolutely was not happening. And I may not know how to direct, but I do know how to tell a story. I know how to work with actors um, because I am an actor. And the bar was set high. Remember, Jeff? I was always like, yeah, this is it. Like, this is it. Like, no stone unturned, man. You know? And uh, everyone just brought their A game. I mean, for a crew of what? I think nine people, including me. Uh, yeah, I think you're actually being a Maybe little bit, uh, eight. Yeah. I think it was like yeah. seven or eight people. Yeah. Yeah. Look at the movie, man. You know, it just goes to show when people put their back against a wall, it's like, and you go for broke. Now, granted, I made a movie and, and wrote a movie specifically so that could be catered to. It didn't warrant big lighting setups. It didn't warrant like extensive, you know, things, you know what I mean? Like it was just, it was supposed to be raw. And I wanted to capture that reality of it. And that was it, man. Not to be too long-winded with my process and everything. But, um, you know, three days after the release, that was a long ride, man. And I, I'm mission accomplished, you know? So so, so tell, tell us about, you know, how it feels to have a movie, like, in theaters, on demand, and stuff like that. Where can, where, where can people see it? Like, how can we support you? And then what's next? Oh, thanks, man. It is currently in five cities, Brooklyn, Chicago, Minneapolis, Detroit, and Dallas. It's on Amazon, iTunes, and Vudu. And uh, it's doing pretty well. I was not expecting that kind of response, tangible response on social media. There's a lot of other stuff going on right now. Articles are being written, um, uh, podcasts that I've been on and will be on like this and but this is my favorite. Um, (laughs) You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff happening because of this film and I'm surprised how much Jersey stood up for it. You know, Um, I had a feeling that there's this like, there's this Jersey vibe. That's like a statewide pride that exists in major cities. I always talk about this. Whenever you meet someone from, if you're out of town, you're like, where are you from? Where are you from? Everyone always references a major city, right? They're always like, oh, I'm from Chicago. I'm from New York. I'm from Seattle. Like, oh, you're from Seattle? Well, I'm like 20 minutes like west. Or I'm like 45 minutes south. But they'll always say they're from Chicago or from there. When people from New Jersey, you know what they say? I'm they say from I'm Jersey. from Jersey. That's it. Yep. It's like the statewide thing. And I'm like, I got to capitalize on that. Because I know there's a Jersey pride here. And I want to make something for my state. For my, my people, you know, in my city, I'm proud of I'm proud of where I'm from. I'm proud of, you know, uh, this this state, man, even though people are angry all the time. It's all right. It's this is what keeps it's what keeps people sharp around here. <laughs> but to be able to give something back, like I always use movies as a kid and I'm sure you guys have and we all still do that escape uh, to be responsible for giving someone escape to move them and to to give them something good uh, that that makes me feel really good. That outweighs, did I make it? That outweighs success, you know? It's just a great feeling, and and I'm glad that everyone can share that feeling with me, everyone else that was a part of it. All right, Brandon, you got anything? Yeah, uh, I ask this question all the time, and uh, I love the answers I get because they're always different. So my question to you to end this is, 
what have you learned from making the bastard sons that you will take with you going forward and what challenges were there in making this number one never work with jeff stewart again it's been a rough road with jeff um this is no, actually the last time i'm going to talk to him ever yeah. <laughs> what did i learn making bastard sons yeah any anything you're going to take with you going forward yeah yeah uh confidence um I went into it blind with a blind confidence that an actor has. And um, it's almost like a, 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 like you're like consciously, consciously delusional as an actor. You have to be in that state because the odds are so stacked against you. You have to know deep down that what you're doing is, is worth it. And entering this world as a filmmaker it was my first time. I never did a short. I never did anything. Um, but I just knew deep down if I had the right people around me, which I, that's the only thing I'll pat myself on the back for. That's it. I was just smart enough to get guys like Jeff and Dan Robertson and Joe and Mike and Ray and, and Cernio and this one, that one, and Glenn. You know, that felt good. So moving forward, yeah, that gave me the confidence to say, okay, I could do this. And um, aside from everything that I learned and continue to learn, yeah, it was just, it was just a confidence boost. Oh, it's great, man. Great. I mean, that, I if you if you notice, that's how filmmakers normally work too. You know what I mean? Like the more the farther you get along, the bigger the swings you take. Yeah, yeah. And the yeah. next one will be a little bit bigger. You know, I think I think I can handle it, and I'm gonna go for it. You know, but the bar is always. I mean, I hate that word. Like I'm not making content. Yeah, you know, I, I I'm making something. Saying. And you know what? I, I appreciate that because you know what? Even if it doesn't work, you tried, right? I would rather somebody take mm-hmm. a risk than make something generic, right? You know, you can. That's it, man. You know what I mean? I, like I'd rather uh, generic, like uh, Indiana Jones. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, like uh, I, I don't want to be good at being mediocre. Yeah, exactly. No. Right? <laughs> you know, no. Like that, Nor do I want to be around people that are okay with that. Right. You know. Yeah. And that's right. why the circle's small, man. Circle's real small. Um, so yeah, okay. yeah I hear you. Uh, I'm going to ask you one more question, and then I'm going to like, and then after that, whatever you want to ask, whatever you want to say, uh, say it. Uh, what movie have you watched recently that you really dig besides your own? Gangs of London. I told you you'd like that shit. I know. I thought of a movie. My my wife's like, a movie. I know. But uh, I haven't dug anything as much as that. That first season was cool. That hit something. That combined a level of violence that I like to see. And the storytelling was absolutely terrific. So in whatever medium, if I saw an amazing short film, I would have told you about a short. But that's really what did it for me. Uh, Gangs of London, the first season. I just started the second season last night. Yeah, I mean, it's, stick with the first season. <laughs> well, Kevin, do me a favor. Yeah, make sure you get out to a theater and see Poor Things, and then report back to me. Because if you want to talk okay. about taking a risk, that movie takes multiple yeah. risks. And specifically, I want you to watch from beginning to end Emma Stone's performance as an actor, and let me know what you think. Because I All think right. that is a brave, brave performance that takes a lot of uh, trust in the filmmaker she's working with. 
honestly, I think Amanda is really going to dig poor things. For some reason, mm. I got a feeling that she's really going to enjoy it. But honestly, it's 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 one of my favorites of the year. Oh, great. I can't wait to see it, man. You know? I can't wait to see it. And talking about just performances, um, I, 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 don't, I don't think in terms of performance for myself. I say it about other actors, but um, I don't use that term. It doesn't resonate with me because it makes me think that there's like this, you know, this thing to hit. You know, there's no there's no journey with a performance. There's no just living it out. Um, it's result oriented, which I don't I don't like. But um, when I had the chance when we did St. Michael, um, you know, I had a good time on Malicious. Sons was tough directing and, and starring in that. Um, I was relying a lot on Jeff here and there, you know, saying like, was that OK? I don't even know. I didn't have a director directing me for the first time in my career. But um, St. Michael was probably the most fun I've had in a, as an actor. It it, it it might be the most fun. I've I'm going to be honest with you. It shows. It oh. shows. In, in, the, in the movie, it shows. Like you're like one I thing mean, we've all said was like you had the best performance. Ah, uh, thanks, thanks, thanks. I appreciate <laughs> it. But um, it was just cool, man. Jeff, let me. Jeff, let me run. You know what I mean? And it was cool, you know, working in that meeting with Jeff again because it's been a long time, man. Yeah, the last man, time I worked just... with Jeff like that was 2000, late 2008, yeah, whatever it was. Um, so I just had a lot of fun with that, and that kind of like refreshed me a little bit because that's my number one passion. You know, that's that's it's everything to me. And I also want to throw this out too, if you don't mind. Yeah, um, okay. you guys might have noticed there's a lot of actor producers, actor, filmmakers and stuff. What I've noticed is that when actors are doing anything in the production world, whether they want to direct or more, it's more produced, they'll get a director or whatever it is. It's all about, there's a driving force behind that for them to be showcased as an actor. And that was the least of my concerns on the, like the Bastard Sons, even the other two films, you know, I wrote them, you know what I mean? And produced them all too, but I, I could care less about that. I just had a good time as an actor. Um, I've done so many movies as an actor where I gave my, I gave everything I had. I left it on the floor, man. Um, I literally have physical scars on me from, from things I've done. Even like if it was a five minute short, it doesn't matter. And I've had some of the best moments that I can think of some of the best moments in, in my life creatively as an, as an actor in movies that never got finished, stopped halfway through filming, lost their funding. They actually got finished, but didn't get released, got released and they just suck, you know? And it's like, you give so much of your, of your soul as, as a, as an actor that that was one of the things that, was an impetus for me to make film. It was to make sure that if I was going to give, that I can also tell a story, that I can make a platform for someone, another actor to strive in and give what they have with the confidence that this is going to get made. It's going to get sold correctly. I'm going to do good business. Everyone gets paid, you know? So I was never really, you know, um, notice me, notice me, notice me motivated making a movie. I take a lot of pride now, and I did going into this and making a 
making a movie. You know what I mean? Telling a good story. I just happen to be acting in it too. You know, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. I get it. So uh, where can people follow you? Where can they find the haps? Like what's your social drop, drop your socials for us. I'll keep it to Instagram, man. You can search my name or uh, Kevin Interdonato or at the Kevin intro. And um, yeah, I like talking to everybody, man. To me, we take, might take a little bit getting back, but I always, I always try to, if someone reaches out and says, what's up. So that's the best way. And I appreciate it. All right. Well, that's Kevin Interdonato. I almost fucked it up. Yeah, you did. You, you pulled through, though. All right. Uh, the Bastard Sons out now in theaters for a week and on uh, Amazon, Voodoo, and iTunes. Check it out. Support smart, smart budgeted films. You know, support Jersey. Um, and you know, you if you don't want more superhero movies, start watching better smaller movies all right <laughs> that's it man that's right. it and shout out to uh vertical entertainment for picking up the the bastard sons one of the leading distributors in the business we were very lucky to get them and um yeah man looking forward to what the future holds all right thanks for coming thanks, by man. thank you guys thanks all man right. appreciate it fellas all right peace we're the Film Blurs. I'm Brandon Nord, and I'm the motherfucking protagonist. I'm the protagonist. I'm Jeff Stewart, a.k.a. He Who Remains. Don't come at us. It's just fucking movies. You've been listening to the Film Blurs Podcast. Man, I just love what you guys do, man. I never miss an episode. It's the best. It's my favorite podcast. Follow Jeff on IG on MindFireXL and Brandon on Twitter at BJNTweets. Tweets.